Good morning, Skycrest family. How are you? And good morning to those who are watching us online. I am so thankful for our praise and worship team. The title of my message this morning is Telling Stories. But it occurred to me as I was listening to our praise and worship team that they also are telling a story. And I so appreciate that. It calms my spirit as I get ready to uh, listen to the message, or in this case, to bring you the message. So I want to talk to you about telling stories. I love stories. I don't know if you do, but I love stories. I grew up in a small East Texas town listening to stories. Stories from my parents, stories from my aunts and uncles, even stories at the barbershop on Saturday mornings. And everybody was trying to outdo each other to tell the best stories. So it was always a contest, and I always enjoyed that. But I have to tell you, my grandfather was the champion storyteller. Now, I need to tell you something about my grandfather, in fact, my grandparents, so that you'll understand the significance of this. My grandfather was not born in this country. None of my grandparents were. They all came over to this country from Lebanon. And so as part of their journey here and when they arrive, they need to learn to speak English. And they needed to learn certain things about American history in order to pass the test to become a citizen. So the stories that I heard as a child had to do with that. I learned American history before I even went to kindergarten because I heard it from my grandfather. And he told it in such a wonderful, marvelous way that it brought history alive. You see, my grandfather was in every story. He knew George Washington. He knew Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln. He was there when they signed the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. He knew why we did it. He explained it. And he made it real and alive to all of us. So he continued his story process. He knew frontiersmen like Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett, and he told us all these stories. And as a four- and five-year-old sitting at his feet or taking turns on his lap, we soaked those stories up. They just grabbed us. Now, his stories were not bound by time, as you can imagine. Later in life, he told us a story about how he knew Jack Dempsey. Jack Dempsey was um, world boxing champion, heavyweight boxing champion of the world in the early 1920s. And my grandfather said he knew him. Well, of course, you know, we just added that to all the other stories. But years later, after he had passed on and I got hold of some of the family pictures, there was a picture of my grandfather with Jack Dempsey smoking what my grandfather said, $2 cigars. So I don't know. Maybe he did know Thomas Jefferson. Maybe he knew George Washington. I don't know. It's possible, whatever. So you can imagine how much I enjoy telling stories. And I love to tell stories just as my grandfather did. I love to tell stories to my grandchildren. Now, I'm not always in the stories. Sometimes I am. But I do add things to the stories to make them entertaining and to capture the attention of my grandchildren. Now, 
my grandson, who's five, he and I are currently sailing the seven seas around the world in search of treasure that's buried in a treasure map that I gave him, and we're looking for that treasure. Now, we haven't found it yet, but we're looking for it. It's a marvelous opportunity to teach geography. Now, my three-year-old granddaughter, she's not into uh, pirates. She likes butterflies, and she likes Peter Rabbit. So Peter Rabbit is her favorite story, and I tell her stories about Peter Rabbit and all the journeys he takes and all the things that he accomplishes and does. And along the way, Peter Rabbit and his friends, which I'll tell you about in a moment, are always doing good things. They're treating people nicely. They're sharing their food on picnics. They're thanking God for the beautiful trees and the sunset and the ponds and the lakes and the butterflies. But always on the trip, always Peter Rabbit is accompanied by two of his best friends, Webster the Pony and Freddie the Fox. And they go everywhere with Peter Rabbit. Not too long ago, I was showing a picture book to my granddaughter with animals in it, and I was asking her to identify the animals. I pointed to a horse, and I said, what is this? And she said, that's Webster the pony. And then she pointed to the fox, and she said, that's Freddy. And then she looked at me with those big eyes and that smile like, didn't I get it right? And I said, of course she did, of course. What, what else could I say? But I then realized three things. She was listening. She was learning. And I need to be mindful of what I'm teaching. Now, we do that same process here at Skycrest. But Jesus did that process in the Bible. And we call those parables. That's the name of the current series that Pastor Chris is taking us through as we go through the Bible. We're going through the parables, mostly from the Sermon on the Mount. And these parables were designed to teach and to help the people understand what Jesus was looking for and how to live our lives. Those parables always taught a moral. They taught a religious lesson, righteous living, how to conduct ourselves, how we carry out our daily actions in our lives, and how we glorify the Father. And those things were very important. So Jesus, when he was presenting the parables to the crowds, and by the way, in the crowds were family, friends, and followers. So Jesus was telling the parables in such a way that the people would pay close attention. So he used examples and things in the backdrop to the parables, the stories, in such a way that the people would identify them. And that's one of the parables that we'll get to in just a moment. And so as they were listening, he was counting on them listening, so he wanted to make sure they were engaged, so they would be learning. And that's an important aspect as well. And then he was teaching. Now, not only was he teaching the people in general, but he was teaching those who were there, such as the disciples and others, who would be teachers, who would carry on his work long after he was gone. And we do that same process here at Skycrest. 
we call it connection groups. And in our connection groups, we share. We're listening, we're learning, and we're teaching. So I encourage you to be a part of a connection group. Now, we have a lot of connection groups. We have connection groups on Sunday morning. We have connection groups during the week. Uh, we have various other times when uh, people can get together. But they're all centered around family and friends, and they're all carrying out that same process of listening, learning, and teaching. And each one of the connection groups is constructed in such a way of the people who participate and who are part of that particular connection group around something that's very relevant to them. Now, as I shared in the earlier uh, service this morning, I said that Pastor JP would not likely want to be in a connection group with a bunch of grandpas like me. It's more important for him to be in a group where they're talking about young parenting, things that are critical like changing diapers and staying up in the middle of the night and who's going to do what and that sort of thing. On the other hand, Tom Rasharm, he's not going to want to be a part of that young parenting group. He's going to say, I can hear his voice. Been there, done that, but. So, He's better in a different connection group. So you look for a connection group that will be relevant to you, that will help you understand, so that you will be listening, learning, and you will be part of that teaching process. And by the way, in addition to the connection groups, it's equally important for you as parents or grandparents to be talking, to be telling, to be sharing with your family, with your children, with your friends, and we'll talk about what message you will carry. So there's a process that goes on, and that process that I shared about earlier, about the last part of listening, learning, and teaching, is teaching. And I want to let you look at the aspects of teach. And there it is on the screen. Tell, explain, apply, challenge, and honor. So the first part of it is pretty simple. We tell the story. This is what Jesus was doing in the parables. He was telling the story. And he was telling stories in such a way that the people would identify with them. In the story we're going to look at today, which is about rock and sand, people understood that. They really understood about rock and sand. I chose that because it was the end of the, uh, the passages on the Sermon at the Mount, but I also understood that that was so relevant to my family because as my grandfather used to tell us, we weren't city people. We didn't grow up in the city. They grew up in a mountain village and they knew all about rocks. I've heard a lot of stories about rocks, but there's also sand in the mountain. So it was very real when I read this passage, I would think back at the stories that I heard. And so when you tell a story and you tell it in such a way that you help draw the people in, that you help engage them, that you help them identify with the backdrop of the story, it's more relevant. And then the second part of that an acronym is explain. So you explain the passage or you explain the story, what it means, who is involved, what's the importance of it, what's the significance of it, what do you do with it? And that brings you to the next portion, which is to apply. You apply it. You put it in action in your daily life. Whether you're at work, 
whether you're at home, whether you're raising children, whether you're retired, you're out playing golf, you're out fishing, whatever, you put it into practice in application. I guarantee you that for every connection group, whether it's about parenting or grandparenting, I guarantee you there's an application and the principles of those applications are right here in God's Word, the Bible. And that's what's so significant for us is we lay these things out, not only in connection groups, but we lay them out as Pastor Chris and others who share the message, uh, our, our Tuesday morning uh, prayer gathering, uh, the Wednesday night Bible study that Pastor Chris leads, and the other times when the ladies get together in different times when we share those, it's all about putting this to work in application. I call it feet on the street. And then there's the next portion, which you challenge it. So you heard it. You heard a good way to apply it. So what? What are you going to do with it? You challenge it. We sometimes need a little motivation, a little extra encouragement. When I, uh, I think back to the days when I would uh, try to encourage, that's a good word, when I would encourage or challenge my uh, children to study or to prepare for a test that I knew they were having the next day, I would always give them a challenge. And the challenge would go something like this. Always start off in prayer. And then do something basic, like open the textbook. You know, open the book. Read the chapter. Work the math problems. Do those things that actually get you to the next step so that you are prepared. Because that's really what we're in the process of doing here, of teaching. We're helping prepare. And we're going to see how important that is in just a few moments. And we do that for a reason. It's the H. We honor God. We honor God's Word. God gave us this Word for a very specific reason. There's lots of things in here in the Bible, and I know they have to do with guilt and punishment. But I believe the Bible was not specifically written for guilt and punishment. It was written for grace and restoration. Grace and restoration. And we need to know that as we put that to work. So then we talk about the parables. So we get to the parables that Jesus was telling, and we know that the parables were part of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus is telling the parables because a parable is a, it's about a moral. It's about a story. It's about righteous living. It's about a religious lesson. And these parables, as they were given in the Sermon on the Mount, were communicated to the people in such a way that they were to understand the traits that he was looking for in his followers and how those traits would be carried out and how they would be exercised in their daily lives. And so this was very important to Jesus in order to communicate with the people in such a way that they would be listening, learning, and he would be teaching them. So he spoke in crystal clear language, very simple things in such a way that they would understand it, they would be engaged, they would identify with it, and they would begin as they were listening, they would begin to learn. And Jesus followed this process. So we're going to look at a particular parable. If you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7, we'll be beginning in verse 24. So here we have a story 
about rock and sand, and we compare those two elements, rock and sand, and we're going to look at those in just a few verses, and we're going to understand the significance of those things. So verse 24 says, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now I want to focus in on a couple of specific words in this this verse. So when it says, therefore, everyone who hears, that word hear in the Greek means not to just hear it as though it came in one ear and went right out the other. It's meant to say and imply that you not only heard it, you paused to give it consideration. So if you heard something, it's like, yeah, yeah, I heard that. No, you heard something, you went, oh, let me, let me think about that a moment. And that's what that word means, everyone who hears. And when it says he hears these words, what words is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's wrapping it up here toward the end. But he's talking about all the words that he has shared with the people in different parables as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And then it says, heard these words of mine and acts on them. That's pretty straightforward. Acts means to do it. Not say maybe but to do it so Jesus is asking for a commitment Jesus is asking for a decision and we'll understand in a few moments how important that decision was and in fact is to us as well and then he says maybe compared to a wise man now a wise man in this context is an individual who has intelligence, who has character, who has the ability to weigh the words that he hears, giving them consideration, but also giving an evaluation to what the words mean. And then the last portion of that verse where it says, he built the house on the rock. The rock here is used both literally as a rock but also in a spiritual sense of something that has spiritual foundation, something that has firmness, something that has stability. And Jesus made it very clear so that people would understand, understand that. And they understood about building. They understood about the rocks where they lived. And in a moment we'll see how they understood about the sand as well. Then we go to verse 25, and it says that, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew. Now, we here in Florida clearly understand about rains and wind and the floods. We get hurricanes here all the time, and so we understand that. Before we moved back to Florida, we, un- we uh, lived in Colorado. We didn't see a lot of hurricanes. We got a lot of snow, so we understood that. One year we got um, piled up in my front yard seven feet of snow. It was, I, I, just, I couldn't believe it, and I didn't even own a snow shovel. I mean, I live in Florida. What, what do I do with a snow shovel? So I had to go out and buy a snow shovel. But we understand those elements of the rain and the floods and the wind. And then this word where it said it slammed against that house. That word slammed is a very powerful force. I shared with the earlier service that October of 1997, I was in the front office on pastoral staff, and I looked out the window of the front door as this property got hit by a tornado. And I watched live 
Never seen it since, but I watched that day. I watched a tornado pick up our school bus and slam it on its side. That made quite an impression on me because that bus was pretty big, but it didn't seem like any more than just a little stick when the tornado flipped it up. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he says that the wind and the floods and the rain slammed against the house. And yet, it did not fall. Now, that's pretty curious. It did not fall. Why? The next few words explain. It was founded on the rock. Now, founded means it is stabilized, it's built, it's secure, it's stable, it's really there for the long term. And it talks about founded on the rock. There's a dual explanation here for that word rock and a dual understanding and an application. Rock as the house was built on, yes, absolutely, that is correct. But talking about the rock, as we'll see, Jesus makes it clear that the rock also has another spiritual connotation, and that has to do with the words of mine, as he said in verse 24, and the word of the Lord and the things that I am teaching you. And that was very important. And Jesus made it clear that if that's the situation you're in, you're in pretty good shape. Now, the, rent, the winds and the rain and the snow, the, the, well, the snow, but also the floods came. Jesus is also referring to not just those things, but they're the things that happen to us in life. I call that stuff. You know, stuck in traffic, bad day some situation that occurs. I call that stuff. Now, we can't always prevent stuff happening. Sometimes we can. Sometimes we can get out of the way. But what Jesus is saying here is that when the stuff comes, you're protected. You're protected because the house, also think of your life, is built on the rock. But now we get to verses 26 and 27, and I call those verses the uh-oh verses because Jesus is about to explain the uh-oh portion of this parable. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, living here in Florida, that ought to immediately bring up a connotation to you walking on the beach and trying to build a sandcastle, and uh, the tide's out, but all of a sudden the tide comes rolling in, and all of a sudden your sandcastle just sort of floats away. And Jesus is making that clear because in those days, people understood that the sand, when the rains came, would melt away. So again, he's talking about the words of mine in verse 26, and he says, if you do not act upon them. Again, this is making the choice. Again, this is about decisions. And it will be like that foolish man, a person who doesn't give consideration to the weighty things of life, a person who doesn't stop to consider, a person who is unwilling to stop and consider. This is a foolish man. 
There are times in my life, I dare say in yours, where you might say, boy, that was a pretty foolish thing that I did. And most times we're right. It was a foolish thing. And there are consequences to what happens when you do foolish things. This was the consequence for the man who built his house on the sand. In verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and they slammed against the house. And it fell. Literally means it collapsed. But there's a few words at the end of this verse which are quite interesting. It says, and great was the fall. I pondered about that, both in a practical sense, because if your house falls, your house falls. Uh, it, it's down, it's down. How, how much greater can that be? So I thought there must be a different meaning, a deeper meaning to those words, and great was its fall. And I believe that those words that were deeper had a significant meaning in a spiritual context, and he's talking about not just the house falling so that it was great was its fall, but he was talking about your life, and great was its fall. And what would that mean? It would have to do with eternal consequences. It would have to do with your final destination. Is it heaven or is it going to be hell? Now, the Bible was not written in order to nail us to the cross. Jesus already did that. The Bible was not written to nail us to the cross it was written so that we would not have to be nailed to the cross. Jesus did that for us. Jesus paid that price. And Jesus has laid this out in the Sermon on the Mount as he refers back to his words. And thinking about those spiritual consequences. Then in verses 28 and 29 as he wraps up the chapter and also the Sermon on the Mount, Screens are not on, the words are not on the screen, but let me share them with you from verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, well, what words is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Sermon of the Mount. A quick summary of the Sermon of the Mount, because remember earlier I spoke with you about making decisions and choices. So when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about being salt and light or not, being angry or not, being lustful or not, retaliate to someone who's done you wrong or not, love your enemies or not, give to the needy or not, serve God or serve money, worry about things or not, criticize others or not. Be fruitful in your life or not. And then finally, build your house on rock or on sand. Quite an interesting choice. Verse 28 again, when Jesus had finished these words, the words from the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They'd never heard anything like this before. 
It was news to them because they were used to hearing different things, falsities, things that didn't make sense, things that didn't hold true. These are the things that they were used to hearing. That's evident from verse 29. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You remember I told you my grandfather was the champion storyteller. Well, here in the parables, we have the master storyteller, or really I should say the master telling stories. And this was so important because he's putting forth a choice. He's putting forth a decision to the people. And that decision and that choice is always placed before us. It's rock or sand. Sooner or later, you're going to be confronted with that choice. Sooner or later, you're going to have to think about it. Sooner or later, you're going to find yourself standing right there when, you, when it comes up. You'll see it. You're going to find yourself at the corner. You're going to find yourself at the corner of rock and sand, and you're going to have to make a decision as to which way to go. You can take the rock of the Savior, or you can take the sands of Satan. But you're going to have to make a decision when you're standing at that corner. I remember being at that corner and being given the option and the opportunity to make a choice. Maybe you remember that as well. But I have to tell you in all honesty, I didn't make the decision that moment. I was at that corner. Now, sometimes you do have to tell me twice, but you don't have to tell me a third time. I heard that message. And I heard the message from the pastor who was preaching. He was preaching from a verse in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we make the wrong turn at the corner, how will we escape? The answer is we won't. That's just the facts. We won't. He also used in conjunction with this verse a popular song which I knew quite well. In my younger days, there was a popular group, a folk rock group known as Simon and Garfunkel. Maybe some of you remember it. They had a lot of great song, catchy tunes, but always with a message, a surface message and then a deep message. And that's how we see sometimes the parables, with a surface message, but also a deep message. And the title of that song was Slip, Sliding Away. And the chorus went like this, Slip, Sliding Away, Slip, Sliding Away. The nearer your destination, the more you're slip, sliding away. What's the destination? Ultimately, it's heaven or hell. 
But in the song, there were three individuals who were experiencing different things in their life. And the closer they got to it, the more significant it be, the more they found themselves slip sliding away. And as the pastor concluded his message that day, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Because if you do, you will find your life slip sliding away. You'll just, like that sandcastle, you'll just wash out to sea. That pierced my heart, and it made sense. And every time I read the Gospels, especially this particular passage here about the rock and the sand, I understand that so, so very well. How do you make that decision? You're standing at the corner. Both ways look good, at least as far as you can see. They look interesting. They look like, well, I should go that way or maybe that way. What should I do? I'm doing pretty good right now, so is there really a reason to do something different? Maybe not today, but eventually. And so the decision that you have is how you choose, how you begin to formulate your life, and what principles it's based on, this foundation. Now, I tell stories to my grandchildren, as my grandfather told me stories. And a lot of those stories, clearly they were added to. My grandfather was the, the best at that. I, I, to this day, I still tell my cousins, especially the younger ones who were too, too young to understand, I said, no, absolutely, he knew David Crockett. I'm convinced of that. But what I know is that that man loved his grandchildren. And that man told what was important to him and what he wanted to know in order to tell his children was to learn his history so he could become a citizen. But also he wanted us to take pride in being an American. Take pride in that and there's a price to pay for that. And that's what Jesus is saying here that we take not so much pride but we take joy in the choice that Jesus is giving us. So we look at that. And we say, how do I do that? I'm standing at that corner. What do I do? The first thing you do is acknowledge you're at the corner. I'm at a crossroads. I don't know. Should I go here? Should I go there? What's best for me in my life? What's going to uh, help me today, tomorrow, next week? What should I do? How do I make that decision? First thing is, as I said, you acknowledge you're standing at the corner. So that ought to give you an indication that something's up. When I first heard that, you know, if you neglect so great a salvation, if you live your life this way, and by the way, that's the way I was living my life, pastor basically said, how's that working out for you, Al? And I thought, yeah, not too good. So you acknowledge you're at that crossroads, and that you got a decision. And if you're totally honest with yourself, you will acknowledge that you've messed up. We've all messed up. I still mess up. I'm sinful. We're all sinful. But I don't want to be. I want something different. 
I want something better. And I know there is something better because I read about it in this book. I was going through this book before I became a believer. I was reading this book, and I understood this book as I was reading it. You know how you read a book. You start at the very beginning, and you just keep reading through. And so that's the way I read the Bible. I read it from the very beginning to the very end. And I thought it was very interesting, very challenging. I was learning a lot. Uh, and I thought I was doing pretty good, and I was pretty happy until one day I heard a little eight-year-old boy get up on stage at church and recite John 3.16. And I looked at my Bible, and I thought, wow, that's page 1180, and I'm only on page 640. And I, I said, wow, that's very impressive. And the person sitting next to me says, what? And I said, that little boy is eight years old. He, he knows John 3.16 on page 1180. And the guy said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm only on page 680. He said, uh, you can jump around. I said, no, you can't do that. No way. You've got to start at the beginning. It's like a book, like a textbook. You start at the beginning and you just keep reading until you get to the end. And he said, no, that's not true. And I said, I don't believe you. So I went and asked a pastor, and the pastor looked at me and he said, yeah, you don't have to start and finish at a certain passage. This book has applications all along the way for every aspect of your life, whether you're a young parent, whether you're the teenagers, the youth that you work with, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a parent, it has application. So that you acknowledge I'm a sinner, I messed up, I want to do better, I need some help. Where am I going to find it? The Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross at Calvary that day and how he rose after three days and how he ascended into heaven. And he's there today pleading for us, for you, for me, before the Father. So we acknowledge that we are a sinner. We don't want to be. We ask for forgiveness. That's a hard thing to do. Guys, do you always ask forgiveness of your wife when you mess up? I'm looking at all the smiles and look at my smile because the answer is no, I don't always do that. But that's what's involved here. You're asking for forgiveness. And you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And it's a simple prayer. In a few moments, we'll walk through that prayer. And if you're here and you want to make that decision, you can meet with me. You can meet with Pastor JP. You can meet with any of your small group leaders. I see Steve Perry and others who are elders in our church. Meet with them and talk with them about it. They will be very happy to share with you the significance of that prayer and the decision that you make. I love stories. I love telling stories. My grandfather started me out on the road of telling those stories. My father continued the journey with me of telling stories and guiding me along the way doing his very best to keep me on the right road and the right path. 
and those were important times. I've often thought that one of the important things of life is making memories. And not only making those memories, but sharing those memories. And so here we are, we have a memory of what Jesus said in the parables. So my grandfather started me out, my father carried me along the way, but it wasn't till hearing the parables of Jesus that I truly learned the way home. Telling stories, the parables of Jesus, standing at the corner, making the decision, being offered that opportunity. Rock or sand? You choose. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. And oh Lord, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your story. That's what the word history is all about. His story. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and your sacrifice to us of having your son die on the cross. Lord, help us today as we need to make decisions. Maybe we're at the corner. Maybe there's someone here who's standing at that corner and today needs to decide what direction to go. Lord, make it clear to them. We've heard your word. Lord, let it now just soak into our hearts. Let our minds be sharp and focused. Let us understand what you have in mind for us always had in mind for us and always will have in mind for us is a right relationship with you. So if there's a person here today, let's talk about that. If you're online, send a message to Wes or Sophie and they'll do the same. They'll help you celebrate that. Lord, we want to bring you glory. We want to bring you glory in our lives. We want to be a part of that memory. And Lord, we want to be a part of sharing that memory and telling stories and repeating the parables. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.